when we own all of these ingredients in our kitchen or in our building a workshop, then we can really do design the love that we deserve. Hi, everyone. I'm Amy Devers, and this is Clever. Today's episode, Clever listeners, is my Valentine to you. It's all about love and how to intentionally design and build long-lasting, mutually fulfilling, loving relationships. I'm talking to Dr. Sara Nasserzeda about her new book, Love by Design, Six Ingredients to Build a Lifetime of Love. Dr. Sara is an author, speaker, and thinking partner with a PhD in social psychology and specialization in the fields of human sexuality and relationships. She's worked with thousands of individuals, couples, and organizational clients to enhance relational health and sense of thriving at micro and macro levels. She's also a senior cultural advisor for governments, UN agencies, academic institutions, and Fortune 500 companies. And her groundbreaking work has garnered global attention with media outlets such as NPR, BBC, ABC, CNN, and USA Today. This new book centers on an innovative new paradigm for love called emergent love and is the result of her 20 plus years of research on the status of thriving relationships and the six key ingredients they all contain, namely attraction, respect, trust, shared vision, compassion, and loving behaviors. And while these may seem obvious, think again. This is the kind of thing that is so logical it makes perfect sense and yet still really creative and innovative because it debunks a lot of the dysfunctional ideas around love that we've been saddled with. The cultural narratives that are embedded so deeply we don't even see them anymore. And it reorganizes how we can think about our own creative agency with regard to growing and cultivating the relationships we want to be in. Today, Dr. Sara unpacks what emergent love is and how it's different from submergent love and helps us with exercises and epiphany-inducing redefinitions of those six ingredients. Along the way, we'll learn to spot and avoid the common misfires and disconnects, and how this new way of thinking and behaving serves to benefit all of our relationships. And before we get into it, I do want you to know that these concepts are universal. No matter your relationship status, culture, gender identification, sexual or relational orientation, this is for you. Dr. Sara's mission is building world peace, one relationship at a time, and I am here to support wholeheartedly. Here's Dr. Sara. I'm Sara Nasserzadeh. I have a PhD in social psychology, and I study relationships, love, and specialize in human connections and sexuality and From bedroom to boardroom, you name it, I'm there. (laughs) Man, you must have an interesting life. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's by design. (laughs) Yes. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, I've been reading into the book that you have just released, and it is innovative and fascinating and illuminating, and it's also got me high-fiving you from my couch and face-palming because I see so much (laughs) that I wish I had known (laughs) before. And it is also such a refreshing and intelligent take on the way we talk about love, the way we perceive love. As a creative, as a designer builder, your work really appeals to me because it makes perfect sense. I like to learn how things work by taking them apart looking under the hood, seeing how everything operates together. And then if it isn't working well, or if it's something that has a high failure rate, then I like to re-engineer it for the better. (laughs) And that's exactly what you've done for love. And thank you. (laughs) This is important work. Love makes the world a much better place. It fosters harmony and peace and expansion. And there's nothing that can't be improved by more love. So can you please talk to me about your background and how you came to develop this innovative framework, this new model for how to look at love and how to engage in relationships so that we can cultivate these really fulfilling long-term relationships? First of all, thank you for everything that you uh, brought up about the book and the message. I'm honored that it resonated with you. That's the purpose of writing this book, right? So I feel like as a person who worked with hundreds, if not thousands of couples across more than 40 countries in the world, I'm sitting in a privileged position. So I'm not going to die with this knowledge. I was going to put it in a book or somewhere that people can actually use because I was in your shoes. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know, you know, it, it takes trial and error. And then I was thinking, hang on a minute, in every other field, we have meal prep, we have um, like proper training for physical health, for mental health nowadays, you know, a lot of things. But when it comes to love, which really the most, single thing in the world that people want more of and there's no plan there's no nothing there's no plan as a relational scientist person I really would like to understand I'm not a designer you know like yourself but on the other side of it the reason I call this book love by design is because I wanted to give people building blocks I talk about blueprints prototyping you know all of that is in the book Because I feel like it's really important for us to trial and error, put our trial and error efforts where the stakes are not as high. Why do I need to sign that marriage paper or be in a very serious relationship and then start to learn? Right. What is it that we can do beforehand? So there's a lot of literacy in the world that we read. People talk so eloquently about relationships, especially if it's in English. 
a lot of people that I work with, English is not even my second language. So it's a, they're more eloquent in this language, right? Language of love, language of this and that. But then when it comes to actually being in a loving relationship, you see the pitfalls. You see they put their efforts where it doesn't really matter. It doesn't get them to the love that they desire and deserve. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the problem. If we've been thinking about this all wrong, how have we been foiling ourselves in relationships? What's the current collective cultural narrative that's not serving us that needs a tune-up? So hopefully it's changing. With everything that is out there, people are getting really smarter because they don't have multiple randomized control trial research to show them that what we're doing is not serving us. But here's the model that many of us grew up with, right? Talking about deconstructing love and constructing it based on solid foundations. The way that many of us were raised, including myself, is one plus one, two people, meet each other, spend enough time together, share their resources, time, energy, attention, money, all of those resources together, and then they become one. So one plus one equals one. Then they live happily ever after. So it's like a static, there's a destination that you arrive and that stays there. So that's one, right? There's nothing left of each person. You become one. So that was the idea. And uh, we can break it down into different cultures, different philosophical thinking. And for example, Greek mythology was the main basis for a lot of things that we think in the Western world these days. And if you go back in in the book, um, I was compelled to deconstruct those from you know, at their root. Like, for example, Aristophanes was really good in comedy, was really good in satire. And then he made a point that, oh, you know, this is really funny. So you go around and you find your soulmate. So there's a lot of stories that are, we can actually keep them as that, the stories. And maybe it served at the time, at some times, but in this day and age, it's not serving us because there's nothing modern about love, but the relationships, the way we relate to one another and what we want from relationships. Yeah. We are different than even 40 years ago, like uh, 80 years ago. So these are the things that I wanted to really bring up and put on the table so that we are not hush-hushing around these and we are not taking chances by them. Yeah, I really respect that. I have been married and divorced and it was amicable. But before the divorce, we went through a little bit of counseling. And I remember in the counseling, it kind of became clear where our values weren't aligned and where where things weren't working. And I remember there being this like really deflated, disheartening reconciliation with the fact that like love, the feeling of love isn't enough. It still has to exist in the practical world. It still has to function with all of the day-to-day, with, with individual hopes and dreams. And I realized then that the conditions to continue love were not going to be sustainable. And so when you wrote about emergent love, I was like, light bulbs were going off because it made so much sense. And it, you distilled it down to something that's so easy to understand. First and foremost, I hope that after reading this book and after putting all the practices and exercises in it, everybody can be in a loving relationship, marriages, any kind of relationship that they choose to be in. 
um, and they believe that they deserve to be in their desired relationships and put their efforts where that matters. Now, let's go back to what happened that you felt like almost that the disillusionment that many of us have. I had it too. You know, I want people to know that I didn't come to this, to this just as an expert who just, you know, tells you what to do. I went through and, you know, I was in those shoes and walked through it in my own journey, obviously, that I share in the book. But look, when we are talking about falling in love, the, the rest will follow. Love is all we need. Love is all we need is a very uh, poetic and epistemologically speaking, it's a very universal perspective, like loving many through one. When you love yourself, you love others. When you believe that you're the reflection of the source, then you can love everybody. That's a different love. That's a universal love. But when we get it and apply it into romantic relationships, one-on-one human relationships, it loses that energy, so to speak, the meaning, right? Um, Something interesting happened with the concept of emergent love. As I was doing the research, at, at first I started to do the research, asking the question, hmm, hang on a minute, why is it that these couples fail in their coupledom? Why is it that they can't really have that loving relationship? And then I found these data that talked about, like, for example, a lot of things that we already had in the literature. So why relationships fail? Let's say, for example, giving the metaphor of the design and construct. You know why buildings fall. Mm-hmm. You know why the design systems don't work when you really try with a, a prototype and then see what works, what doesn't work, right? But I wanted to know why they work. Yes. Not only that, how could they work? And not just sustained and succeed, but also thriving. Because again, going back to this modern life that we live, we want more, we want better, we want to be fulfilled. Fulfillment was at the core that I was looking for. So as I went through a lot of data that I collected, so basically just a little bit about how I came up with the concept of emergent love. Mm-hmm. So people know that, you know, this is not just my observation or my hope or wish. So this is actually based on two pieces of very solid research. One is I took the account of 312 couples that I personally worked with from so many different countries. I went through my notes and then I realized that there are certain words that are coming up over and over again, like trust, compassion Mm. and respect and shared vision and being loving, not love being loving, so the act of it, how does that look like, right? And then I put that all together for whoever that is out there that is a nerd like me, it's just based on grounded theory (laughs) model of research. So basically you have a bunch of data, you go through them until there's nothing new emerges. And then I went through that, then I thought, okay, so these are like eight, seven concepts that I found. Let's put them into practice with 159 couples who self-identified as thriving. So they still said after 40 years of being together, they still said, our relationship is thriving. I'm thriving. This other person is thriving. Like, okay, so which one of these you identify with? And then after that validation study, then this became very apparent that there are six ingredients that needs to be present in continuous interaction with one another, with good quality, 
to be able to sustain a context that love even has a chance to emerge. This is a totally different concept. It is. And I liked how you explained it in the book in a very sort of simple analogy as like fire. The fire can't continue to exist if one of the three main ingredients, log, spark, and oxygen, aren't there. It won't continue to thrive. Exactly. In this day and age, I feel like to be in a thriving relationship, many people are misguided. Yes. <laughs> and they're, they're thinking that when we are talking about one plus one equals three, so two people come together to shape that third entity, which is like, as you mentioned with the analogy, is the spark, log, and the fire, fire being the relationship, that love that we want, mm. right? So the misguidedness here is that they feel like to do that, they need to keep their lives totally separate. They need to keep everything separate. I need my space. You need your space. Almost acquired narcissism. Me, 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 me. That is not what I'm promoting either. There's another way to do this, people. <laughs> and we don't need to suffer. We know enough now. I really, really appreciate that you're attacking the problem by looking at what's working. And then we're not trying to fix what's working. We're, we're trying to look at what's working and use that to fix what's broken. That makes perfect sense. So I wonder if you can walk me through emergent love like it's a design problem or a creative process. Let's say I'm single, which I am, and I want to cultivate emergent love. Where do I start? How do I prepare? What do I need to know about myself, about intimacy, and about other things that maybe we weren't taught in school or by our family of origin? So when you want to design something, first, you need to know what you want. Mm -hmm. You're not going to play with the clay and then see what comes out of it. You're going to see what you want. And hopefully you're going to think about how this is going to fit into your life and how are you going to fit into that, to the purpose of that design, right? And then you're going to think about what are the steps to get there and are they solid? Are the steps going to actually get you there or not? That is the piece that many people are missing. Ah, right. So they come to me and say, I've been dating all the wrong people. And then just by the simple look at, I actually ask people to, to get a, a screenshots or show me their dating profiles online. And I'm sitting there thinking, really? With this profile, you think you're going to attract the person that you, what you just told me that you would like to attract? There's no way, no way, no how that you're going to attract that person. What's the disconnect? How are they not seeing what the disconnect is? I'll give you a very, very common, but for some people, maybe extreme example. So you know how people do selfies and then they bring their lips together as if they're kissing? Mm. That thingy, right? And then with a very, let's say, revealing clothes and cleavage and, you know, what is it that they're putting out there? This is what I'm seeing at the, at the picture that is online. Or there's another person who is completely covered with sunglasses and covered in a sense that I can't really distinguish them if I see them, distinguish between them and another person. So, or I see another person who shows their muscles out there. And then there's this guy who is so sensitive, looking for somebody who is understanding, build a life with them. And then they're projecting the image that I would like to have some sexy, fun experience with you. 
So what are they attracting? Right. right? So these are the things that I feel like so nuanced. And when I say it, it's not something that is like rocket science. But this, these are the things that we are not really paying attention to. And that's what I'm talking about. Where you put your efforts matter. Can I ask you a question? Do you think that those people might be overcompensating for what is so authentic about themselves that it feels vulnerable to put out there? That could be a part of it. But to be honest with you, I think many people don't know. Yeah. They don't know how they come across. So on chapter three, I talk about what we bring to love. And we had a very extensive conversation with my beautiful editor, because this was a book about loving relationships, loving partnerships and couples. And I said, no, we're not going to talk about couples without we actually break down into the individuals, because that's the whole premise of the emergent love. So we added a whole chapter there. What do you bring to love? Who are you? And a lot of people think, oh, well, I can tell you who I am, my degrees. I can even tell you who I'm looking for. But then when I ask them, is that person that you're looking for is looking for you, mm-hmm. right? So it's really important to, the, one of the biggest elements of emergent love and love by design is the reciprocity of everything that we're talking about. When we talk about shared vision, trust, attraction, compassion, loving behavior, respect, all of the six ingredients need to be reciprocal in a meaningful way to the other person, right? as well as you. Yeah. So these are the things that are very important that I want to highlight today in our conversation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Clever is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. A recent episode took Brad to Venice, where he connected with Eve Ubelman, a partner whose company, Econem, has developed a game-changing technique for creating digital architectural models so comprehensive they've been dubbed twins. During the relative quiet of the pandemic, Eve and his team used drone-captured photography and powerful AI to create a full-scale digital twin of Venice, a city threatened by climate change and over-tourism. On Tools and Weapons, Eve tells Brad how he's using this incredible technology to help preserve some of the world's most endangered cultural heritage sites in pristine detail so they can be studied and appreciated for generations to come. To stay current on some of the most innovative people working with AI today, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, Clever listeners, we're getting excited for New York Design Week in May. This year will be better than ever. ICFF, North America's leading platform for contemporary design, will take place from May 19th to the 21st at the Javits Center in New York City. I'll be there, and I'm excited to let you know how Clever is collaborating with ICFF for Launchpad at Wanted, formerly known as Wanted Design Manhattan, and the Emerging Designer Showcase. Launchpad is an international platform for emerging designers that introduces new concepts and showcases prototypes of furniture, home accessories, and lighting. It is the best place for manufacturers to meet new designers, discover fresh ideas, and potential products to develop. The best of Launchpad winners will be selected by a jury of renowned industry professionals, led by yours truly. And they will go on to be featured in another edition of the popular Emerging Designers Showcase. I'll be leading the Emerging Designers Showcase live on the talk's main stage, where the five Launchpad finalists will have a chance to present their projects to our esteemed panel of professionals. It's always a really good time. So mark your calendars for Sunday, May 19th at 4 p.m. Both Launchpad and the Emerging Designer Showcase are presented with media partners Clever, that's us, and Design Milk, and with support from American Standard and Lumens. Visit icff.com to learn more and register to attend. Those are the letters icff.com. Come by and say hi. I would love to see you there. Support for Clever comes from Wix Studio. Instead of reading you another, let's be honest, boring ad script, Wix Studio just sent me this wild-looking Alice in Wonderland-themed website to scroll through and tell you about. So, whoa. This is not the web I'm used to. There's something called Mouse Parallax, which makes it feel like you can go deeper into the screen. And as I scroll down, it's like I'm falling down the rabbit hole. And things are moving in depth and perspective. Even my cursor has morphed into a glowing little orb. There are all these no-code animations that make this place feel organic and alive. And Alice is wearing some pretty cool shoes, by the way. Okay, I know I'm mixing up my narratives now, but we are definitely not in Kansas anymore. Your turn to go down the rabbit hole. Build your next web project on Wix Studio, the platform for agencies and enterprises. So the six ingredients are attraction, respect, trust, shared vision, compassion, and loving behaviors. And all of those are necessary to create emergent love. And not just once, but continually, right? Absolutely. As long as they want the fire. (laughs) As long as you want the fire. Okay. (laughs) Makes perfect sense. So yes, please do go through each one of those and, and break them down. So let's talk about attraction, because attraction is the one that is the most dangerous. Attraction, by default, when it comes to romantic relationships, is that butterfly Mm -hmm. that that we feel that, oh my God, I can't get enough of them. That's infatuation, Mm -hmm. right? And that's that's a quote-unquote normal in a lot of romantic relationships, at least at the beginning. But if we are really limiting our attraction to that... We know by research that on average, when you hit the mark of two years or so, on average, those feelings will go away after that amount of time or, you know, more or less for some people. 
it feels like you are tickling yourself. You know, you can't really tickle yourself. It's not <laughs> right. funny. Somebody else needs to, right? <laughs> if we talk a little bit about the neurophysiology and neurobiology, when you do that, it's very important for you to realize that. So that sexual attraction and sexual chemistry, it's distinct to uh, fizzle out a little bit. However, don't fret. It's not a bad thing to have it or not have it. But let's talk about that. Attraction could be financial. Attraction could be social. Attraction could be intellectual, which is huge in this day and age. Mm -hmm. Because as we all becoming smarter, not uh, only because we have access to better education, better resources, but also genetically, you know, we are also eating better and also genetically as the generations go on, we know now that we become smarter. We want more intellectual stimulations on all fronts. So intellectual attraction is a very important one too. So when we define those for ourselves, then you realize something about yourself. What is it that makes me want to be around this person yeah. or a person, Yeah, you know? And then you can look at your all around relationships who are the people that I choose as close friends, not as close friends? Who is it that I would like to spend more time and resources on, right? Mm-hmm. So those are the things that will help you. And I have exercises about like to, to know what is the blueprint for the attraction and how to build on it. So that's attraction. Why do you want to be around a person over time, you know, and how do you evolve with that? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense to me because... I mean, it's one of the reasons that I don't enjoy the apps either, because I don't know if I'm actually attracted to someone by how they look or a photo. I need to know if they're funny, if they're kind, if they're a good listener. And, you know, how they look is maybe part of it, but it's not even the biggest part. But there was a very beautiful way that you helped us understand the mechanics of attraction as it plays out over a very long period of time. And so thank you for that, because I I think that. You also point out a lot of people think that attraction is about when it fades, you need to rekindle that fire and try to get back what you had before. And actually, that's not the case. (laughs) Absolutely. Because also, remember, that's only one form of attraction, which is sexual attraction. Mm -hmm. So on the apps, you can decide whether you're physically attracted to this person or not, which is by large uh, socially constructed. Mm -hmm. Right. So you kind of have a way of even, you know, research shows that even as children, when we are attracted to somebody at school, at playground, we are playing with them more. We choose them as our friend. Right. So that physical attraction matters. It's not that it's actually one of the key ingredients here. But the problem is when we put too much emphasis on one form, then we are really not paying attention to the rest. And that's the couple who come to me and say, we love each other. We are not in love with each other. We are like, you know, so those points of attraction. The other thing is over time, if that initial attraction doesn't translate to intimacy, into me, I see continuous effort to know myself, my multiple identities, my essences, and then choose which ones I'll bring to you, into me, you see. If we don't have that constant exchange over a period of time, then we stay at the surface. We don't really know each other as much because we are evolving beings. Yeah. That's one piece. Yeah. Intimacy. So beautiful when you get it right. So what about respect? Respect is one of those ones that I have to tell you resonates with people most. 
Because from where I'm coming from, in the Middle East, North Africa, in Mediterranean region, in actually majority of the world, but the Western Europe and Northern America, respect is something that you are taught as a child first. Mm -hmm. So it's before anything else, because there are hierarchies, there are different social systems that you have to navigate. So that's a big one. Respect means how am I going to see you and then see you again? and prioritize you, and make sure that I'm lovingly and firmly holding my boundaries around you so you know how to treat me, how to be around me, don't create confusion, and lovingly and firmly being there for your boundaries. That's respect. Yes. (laughs) You distilled it down into a very clear concept. In practice, it doesn't go over so cleanly all the time. Where do you see people not understanding respect or not deploying respect in relationships and unwittingly undermining their relationship? The first thing I would like to answer this with a question. Okay. For yourself and whoever that is listening, whenever that you question respect, you're actually looking closer at respect. The first question is, put the lens back to yourself, on yourself, and ask yourself, am I respectable? Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. Am I respectful? And then am I respected? That's important because a lot of us can feel that we are disrespected. But when I ask people, okay, I'm so sorry you're disrespected, but do you feel in your heart of heart in this relationship that you are showing up in a way that you're respectable? You respect your own boundaries lovingly and firmly without shutting the other person out, without walking all over yourself before anybody else does it, right? So this is very different than that acquired narcissism that is really flooding our society these days, shutting everybody out Mm -hmm. and having borders around you instead of loving and firm boundaries. When you turn it back on yourself and ask yourself, am I respectable? And I guess I'm sort of turning this back on you now. Like, what are you looking for in yourself to confirm or validate your own respectability? Let's say I give you a very, very almost superficial, but a daily example. Yeah. You make an announcement and say, from tomorrow, I am going to wake up at this hour. I'm going to exercise at this hour. I am going to not to look at my phone. That is my boundary for tomorrow. I'm not going to put junk in my body. I'm going to take the time I need for self-care. I'm going to do this. This is, mm-hmm. this is the boundary that you set for yourself. This is how I'm going to be around myself, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you wake up and say, oh, I crave for that chocolate cake. <laughs> And then the other person is observing this. I'm not saying to be perfect, but I'm just saying either don't announce it out loud to the person that you know that is observing your life, that I'm going to do this, that, 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 and then multiple times break it. Right. So that's one, right? So then they will learn that next time that there is a thing come up, I want to go out with my friends. I want to go out with my friends as well. Well, you know what? It's okay. You stay at home, take care of the kids. I go out with my friends. Right. Because you've done it before to yourself. So why why can't I? Right. Okay. So you're looking at, do I honor my commitments to myself? Do my words and actions have integrity with each other? Do I do what I say I'm going to do? And 
do I treat myself with the kind of respect that I would hope to be treated by somebody else? Exactly, exactly. For example, for women, this is really common, self-deprecating comments. It's not a joke. Whatever narrative that you have for yourself, it becomes the narrative of other people about you. No question about it. So little piece at a time, little piece at a time, because we want to cater to somebody else's insecurity. We want to make them feel good and secure about themselves. So we do this sometimes to ourselves, to put ourselves down. Mm -hmm. But then also I have to say, sometimes we are very respectable and respectful human beings. But then on the other side of it, we are with a person who has a very different understanding of respect. Right, right. So it's not all on us either. So it's the, that's why it's mutual. So I have a lot of people who tell me, you know what? I always saw him when he was drunk, he would use foul language, but never to me. <laughs> but after six years into the relationship, familiarity and the walls are down and all of that, then you are the mere target. So to pay attention to where that matters on dating scene in the couple them. You know, the, the things that matter. And if if somebody is listening and any of these ingredients resonate with you, the way to bring it up to your partner is in a loving and firm way. And just say, hey, just that you know, I know we talked about you chewing with your mouth open at the dinner table when we have guests is really bothersome to me. But I just want you to know that this is actually seven out of 10 for me. It's important to make it clear. Otherwise, you become a nagger right. and the other person really doesn't know how much that matters to you or how important that thing is. Right. And then you feel disrespected if they don't modify or acknowledge, like, I'm trying. Exactly. So that's a little bit about respect. Yeah, that's super interesting. Trust. Trust is something that I think, again, we all think is obvious, but it's much more nuanced. Absolutely. So trust has two main elements, reliability and consistency. And we rely on each other to show up in a reliable way consistently, not once in a while and when you can. And not just when it suits your schedule, but when it makes sense for the relational space. <laughs> exactly. Consistency and reliability. So trust really boils down to that and commitment. And showing up for the mutual committed space that the two of you have with one another, mm -hmm. commitment is a big part of trust. One piece of trust I've had issues with in my relationships is revealing vulnerabilities that then get used against me, I guess. I've heard it called narrative trust, but it's the kind of thing where I've learned to edit myself in a relationship where I felt like what I shared could be used to undermine me in some way, to hurt me, to humiliate me. So that falls into the trust category, right? Like I'm going to share something with you and <laughs> you are meant to take that in confidence. And <sighs> look, transparency and vulnerability are two different things. Transparency yeah. is you just put something out there. You really don't care what will happen after. That was your thing to get off your chest. Okay. Vulnerability, you're inviting somebody to your space. And because majority of times you have an outcome in mind, 
is not just getting it off your chest. It's to serve the relationship. Right. It's to build that trust dynamic with the other person. But in my humble opinion, I think people in intimate relationships, they share a little too much. Not everything needs to be shared. Yeah, I get that. You need to have a private space and then define the secrecy. Secrecy and privacy need to be defined amongst the couples so that they know what is it that they are sharing with each other, what is it not. And also not everybody deserves your vulnerability. Yeah. Shared vision. You don't mean that you're completely alike. You mean that you are able to both wrap your hopes and dreams around a future destination? Yes. So basically, this is where you're committed to go together. And there are certain levels for it, like geographically, spiritually, uh, intellectually, physiologically, all of that. Where are you going together? Where are you committed to go together? Some people would like you just create experiences with one another. And that's absolutely fine. There's room for that too within with all of these six ingredients too. But some other people, they are committing to build something together. Yes. If we're back to the building metaphor, you're speaking my language. If you have two people and only one of them is building something and hoping the other one comes along, but they're not helping, I can see how that doesn't work. And I can also really identify with being in a relationship with somebody who just wanted experience, but wasn't really collaborating on building something together. Yes. Yeah. How do you figure that out (laughs) on the front end? How do you learn that quickly about somebody? Well, there are certain questions that you can ask yourself first. And then there are certain questions and dialogues that you can have with the other person to see how you can build with each other. Like, for example, for shared vision, I have a lot of couples who come to me pre-engagement or pre-kind of joining their way together. And uh, simple questions like, where do you see yourself in five years? That's really the simplest one. Okay. Right? And then there are more that are listed in the book. So they come and say, I see myself, this amazing architect, let's say, for example, right? Mm -hmm. And now we're talking about design and building (laughs) and living in a high rise in the middle of Milan. And then the other person comes and says that, you know, I would love to have my own sustainable farm and live somewhere that is really cozy. I, I want to be outside of all of this pollution and everything. So how are they going to end up? <laughs> like you said in the book. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I have those couples. I mean, in, in the book, I try to mix and match to preserve confidentiality. So Each piece of that comes from one couple. But it's really interesting that how do you envision yourself being together? And then when they come to me, they feel like I have this magic wand to make sure that this will somehow work. It doesn't. Because you're going to be in a high rise in Milan, an architect, and the other person is in a farm. If you know that and going in intentionally knowing that your relationship for some parts of it will be long distance, good for you. Mm -hmm. And it might work. But going in with hopes and assumptions and secretly thinking and wishful thinking that this person is going to see how great the farm is and they will come along. Or the other way around, I have not seen that happen. So that's interesting. I think especially when people are in the infatuation phase, if they don't have a shared vision, but they both are passionate about their goals and dreams, even that's intoxicating, right? And 
I think there is a like, well, I just can't not believe that if we continue growing together, like I feel like we are, that we won't arrive at a mutual shared vision eventually. But what you're saying is it's really important to understand and respect each person's vision and maybe give them the credit that you're not going to get into a relationship trying to change their version of what they want for the future in order to match yours. Exactly. You know, there are certain things that are habitual that could change. For example, I'm hoping that you don't drink as much. Then you can negotiate, you can discuss, you can again put it in the skills. This is 10 out of 10 for me. Do you think you can do this? And then give them a period of time, trial to see if they can actually hold on their bed. And then habitual things, yes, but vision, the worldview, values, these are not the things that are easily changed. And in our research actually showed that moral value has a very strong connection with the outcome of a thriving relationship where people put their values. Yeah, that makes sense. I was one of those people who, in my first marriage that I already told you about, we got married because the timing was right. We had so much in common. We were compatible on a lot of levels, but it wasn't until like life got really sort of hard that we recognized, we started to recognize where our values weren't perfectly aligned. Mm -hmm. And those were types of things that I don't think we had really given enough credit, had looked at carefully enough before we got married. And it was clear to see when it was time to separate, it was clear to see that in order for each one of us to thrive, it was not going to be together. And that's because you can't divorce yourself from your values and still be in integrity with yourself. I completely agree with you. I have so many questions, <laughs> but I also don't want this to turn into a, a therapy uh, you session, know, like a personal confession by you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to make sure to respect your boundaries. <laughs> I want to get to compassion because compassion, of course, is something that is necessary in terms of being a kind person and an empathetic person. And it's as important as respect and trust in terms of how you navigate the world and who you show up as in your day-to-day interactions. But I think, you know, the cliche is that we always hurt the ones we love. So why is compassion something that we need to pay special attention to? when it comes to cultivating really thriving long-term relationships? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we learned from the research and also from my work with couples is evolutionary speaking, we relate to one another. Let's say, for example, you come and say that, oh my God, I had a really bad day. I immediately think of something to relate to that. So I will say, oh, I had a bad day too, or mine was not as bad. So I'm trying to see, to bring in whatever that you just said to see if I can relate at some level. That's perfectly normal, expected, all of that. Mm -hmm. When relating becomes too much, that I'm actually stealing the situation. I'm making it about myself. I, yes. Or you come and say that, oh, this is like, I had a really bad day. I say, oh my God, let me tell you about mine. Or for example, oh my God, you had a bad day, poor you. I am so sorry. And then I even take it further. I start crying for you and owning your emotions. That's over-empathizing this in coupledom. Mm-hmm. What I would like to invite people to instead do is to show up for one another with compassion. So if empathy is feeling with the person, mm-hmm. compassion is feeling for the person. 
So you are there and saying that, oh my God, tell me more. What happened? What can I do? How can I be here for you? Right. That's compassion. Okay. Empathy is you have a, you're bleeding. I'm bleeding too. Then who is there to give us band-aid? <laughs> right. Right. So that's that's really huge. That's huge in any relationship. So that's one of the things about compassion that I want to emphasize here. Okay. So what's the opposite of that? Which is I can't relate to your situation at all, and therefore I'm not going to give it enough credit, enough weight in this conversation. In a compassionate situation, I could be talking about something that you don't even understand what I'm talking about, right? But you just say, how can I be here for you? That's compassionate presence. I'm not asking you to feel my pain. I'm not asking you to solve it. I'm not asking you to jump ahead and own it. Mm -hmm. I'm just asking you to be there. And in the book, I talk about a tool that I give to people Framing, like whenever that you want to share something, especially if it's painful, sensitive, whatever that is, it could be done by either person. Mm -hmm. You come to me and say, Sarah, I want to talk to you. And I say, oh, okay, how can I be there for you? That is most relevant to what you're experiencing. You're like, you know what? I want to brainstorm. You know what? Just be there. Yes. You know, so that framing piece is very important. Yes. And I feel like that is a tool we can all take and use today because so often we know what we need but we forget to frame it up front and so i might bring something to someone and they instantly try to solve it and it's like no that's not what i'm asking for i've actually already thought up about what my solution's going to be but what i really need right now is i need to offload it so i can see it and and process it can you help me process it so i love that you bring framing into the conversation as a very accessible tool I can also see how that relates to compassion because you're understanding that the other person in their efforts to be loving and helpful to you might actually end up irritating you <laughs> if, if you don't give them the information they need up front. So loving behaviors, that leads us into loving behaviors. And that seems like a big bucket, but how do you categorize it so that we can have some sort of clarity around what you mean by that? So again, when I, when, we, when I was writing the book, the question came up as the whole book is about love. Why do we, do we need a whole chapter on it? Yeah. Because loving behaviors are the ones that you said at the beginning of our conversation. So to make somebody special, I can't replace you easily. And tender with my words, with my touch, with my presence, with my energy. That's loving behavior. I go out of my way for you. I give you benefit of the doubt more than I do to other people. These are the qualities. You know, Amy, one of the things that I'm hoping people take away from this book is we talk about respect, compassion. These are not new terms. Mm -hmm. But what I would love for people to know is that we are redefining all of it. And also, not only that, we are bringing it full circle to give tools to people. How does that loving touch look like? How does it feel like? Right? So it's not only literacy that people take away. I want them to be fluent in the language of love, you know, to design it. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This is so hopeful and optimistic, and I love that you said, yes, these terms are not new, attraction, respect, trust, but in all of this conversation, you've broken it down, and I just want to say it's not what we think it is, or it's more than what we thought it was. From literacy to fluency, I want to now reflect this back to you. Where are you in your personal emergent love relationship, but also in terms of your work and your career? So I've been married for 20 years. Mm. This year will be 24. We had an interesting journey ourselves. And that was definitely the personal stake that I had in this. I'm going to crack this and I'm going to live it. I'm going to design it for myself (laughs) and the rest of the world. So that was the personal stake on it. And um, every day, that's why I call these ingredients, ingredients. Every day I wake up in my morning meditation. What does my relationship need more of? Some days you need a little bit more compassion. Some days you need a little bit of more trust either way, right? So as long as you're intentional every day, you just build and build and rebuild and beautify your emergent love and go on. And the fire goes on, on and on. You know, Einstein said, you can't solve a problem with the same frame of mind that created it. You need to see the world anew. And this is the new way that I would like to present to the world that emergent love model could be the model of love that we can all live by, build. I've done it. You will do it. Everybody else can do it. That's the hopeful part. Everyone deserves to be in the loving relationship that they desire. When that happens, world peace will happen. I believe you a hundred percent because when you're fueled and driven by love and it's working, you're not acting on a need for lack of love, then there is no other option other than peace. That's true. Mm -hmm. And you know, Amy, one of the things that I found, people tell me, how do you feel if you are experiencing an emergent love in your life? I feel like you have very clear mind and peaceful heart. And the way that you do one relationship is the way that you do all relationships. Because this is the same ingredient that I teach at corporate. Mm -hmm. I use in my work with the United Nations. So these are just all the ingredients that go around. I want to call out something, too, that you stated it sort of up front in this conversation. But you're pretty clear in the book that you're not referring to just heteronormative love. No. And you're not referring to just a Western version of love at all. 
what was really powerful to me is, is up front, you make a case for how universal these ingredients are because they are not specific to a culture, a gender, an orientation, and that you've, you've seen them work in all kinds of relationships, all kinds of choices in terms of how people want to configure their lives. And so that's something that I really appreciate in, the, in terms of the way you framed it, but also something I really want to stress is that these are universal concepts for how you can just be in connection with anyone in your orbit. Yeah, the way that you are respectable is everywhere. It's at work, at home, with your child, with your parents, with your siblings, with anybody really, with your neighbor. Right within the community. So these are all things that I feel like when we own all of these ingredients in our kitchen, so to speak, <laughs> or in our building a workshop, then we can really do design, the love that we deserve. And love is the word that I use also as an overarching. Loving relationship is a relationship that gives you clarity of mind, not preoccupation, not ups and downs. And to your point about not being heteronormative, a lot of um, myths that we have are based on those. A lot of movies, and thankfully, Hollywood and Bollywood are paying more attention to change their perception as well. But we have a long way to go. But yes, any sexual orientation, relational orientation, any gender identification that people have, they can all use the ingredients. Yeah. I liked how you framed it as ingredients in a kitchen too. And it's sort of like making breakfast every day. If you know these are the ingredients you're working with, you can mix them up a little bit for what you need that day or what the relational space needs that day, as you described. But you always know you're eating (laughs) something healthy that's going to fuel you and give you the nutrition you need to thrive. Absolutely. I have a very serious question. If everyone on the planet were to read this book... How soon do you think world peace would happen? That's a big question. Uh, My hope is, first and foremost, chapter by chapter, when people read this book, my wish is that they feel that they are becoming more fulfilled within the realm of their own skin. That shows day by day. When you choose to eat a healthy diet, Mm -hmm. when you choose to do anything really in your life, it shows immediately in your life, in your surroundings. It's like the ripple effect. When you show up differently, the world around you will be different. It can't resist. It will be different. And therefore, just you have a beautiful smile, Amy, for example. When you are glowing from inside, you go outside, right? Out of compassion, out of act of loving, you made that cashier. You make that person at the gas station feel special, just a smile. It goes a long way. It can make their day. It can bring their cortisol level down. If It can make them a kinder person. I received a smile. Let me give the smile back to other people. So it's, uh, and in your loving relationship, for sure, your partners might feel like, oh my God, something hit their head. (laughs) They're different. But, you know, it doesn't last long because they can, you know, you are changing. So they are not actually reacting to whatever that they think you are or you bring to the table. And initially, it might be a little bit awkward or weird, but stick with it if you're doing this journey on your own. And if not, you can bring your partner with you. You can read chapter by chapter 
And then as you are changing, they are changing the relationship, the atmosphere. If you have kids, if you have your surroundings, your couple's brand changes. Yeah. Right? Then people start treating you differently. You are attracting different people into your life. So to answer your question, my hope is as soon as you start reading and implementing, just take it slow. Don't feel like it's one of those books that you read and just, you know, put away. Really read and, again, literacy and fluency. Practice it and make it your own. Mm -hmm. Again, nobody said I'm the queen of anything. Right. No, it's a custom fit. This is what I know. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I love the idea, the the ripple effect. I do think that by learning how to make furniture, I started to learn how the world is built. I started to see the world in an exploded view. I started to understand, you know, how trees get converted into logs. And so that kind of creative agency and confidence rippled out into absolutely every area of my life because now I felt like, well, if I don't know how to do it, I know how to figure it out. I also felt like I have this material agency with the built world around me and I don't feel helpless if something were to break down or need fixing. And I also think that if you imbue or empower people with this kind of creative agency with love, that that confidence is not only transferable, but it will ripple out and exponentially improve all of our social interactions and humanity by extension. So you are doing really important work, Dr. Sarah. Thank you so much. Well, you are a part of it too, my dear. (laughs) We are all in this together. We rise together. We are. It's a mission for all of us. I appreciate that. I do feel like we're all in this together. And I feel like these kinds of conversations are important because there are so many different ways that people learn. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And I also wish that it has an impact that we can feel, that enough people start deploying the ingredients of emergent love that we can all start to feel it in our social interactions. That would be a beautiful thing. Yes, let's spread the word. Let's rise together and really initiate this revolutionary discourse around love been a real pleasure to be in conversation with you. You're so real. It's beautiful. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks so much for listening. For a transcript of this episode and more info about Dr. Sara and Love by Design, including links and images, head to cleverpodcast.com. If you like Clever, there are a number of ways you can support us. Share Clever with your friends, leave us a five-star rating or a kind review, support our sponsors, and hit the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app so that our new episodes will turn up in your feed. We love to hear from you on LinkedIn, Instagram, and X. You can find us at Clever Podcast, and you can find me at Amy Devers. For bonus content and announcements, subscribe to our newsletter at cleverpodcast.com. Clever is hosted and produced by me, Amy Devers, with editing by Mark Zorowinski, production assistance from Ilana Nevins and Anushka Stefan, and music by L1011. Clever is a proud member of the Surround Podcast Network. Visit surroundpodcasts.com to discover more of the architecture and design industry's premier shows. I want them to be fluent in the language of love, you know, to design it.